Well, the other book is say it's <clears throat> called A Sense of Place. Well, the two books are kind of based on the idea of that we can't all, all of us are not great storytellers, but we have there's amazing picture books about nature, and we can use those picture books to introduce a lesson, you know, then teach young people about food chains or symbiosis or whatever ecological concept. And also just teach them to love where they live. Uh, I think it's really important that all of us, every, every age, know who we live, who we share our neighborhood with, whether it's the plant life, the animal life, the local history. So these picture books are ways to encourage children and everyone to pay attention to where they live and ga gain a sense of place. Definitely. And that's very, very important. Like, like I said, um, or like you said, I once lived up here and I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to, I'm sick and tired of New York state. And then once I realized what New York state has to offer, holy crap, was that uh, a mistake that I made in my life? And I, I, I'm very, very sad that I didn't take advantage of that when I was younger. Cause now I'm older and my knees are starting to hurt. My back's starting to hurt. And <laughs> I'm just like, man, I should have taken advantage of this when I'm young. But yes, definitely love where you live because we live in a fantastic place. New York state might be weird at times, but the Northeast offers so much. And I can't agree with you more on that one, so. The bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. I, and I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskill. You can't underestimate them why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It is really the development of New York State. Catskills are responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Yeah, this is a very laid-back interview. Even, even when I had the the interview with the times union i was just like whoa 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 whoa! you got to stop asking professional questions like we, we need to lay back on this stuff it's it's i'm i'm not like that i'm a, a laid-back kind of dude who just likes to, to talk about the cat skills and that's the way it was it was it was hilarious so she was <laughs> she was really cool so but dan how you doing tonight i'm good i'm good how are you great man i couldn't ask for we couldn't ask for better weather where are you located right now um, I live on the north shore of Long Island, a little town called Bayville. Okay, so how how is it doing there with uh with your weather? Um, it's been a great past few days. Um, actually, probably the whole week. Yeah, a little hot, but yeah, very nice. Yeah, you probably have it actually a lot hotter than we do. So what what was your temperature today? I think it's probably in the eighties. Wow. Oh, so sunny. it's yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit elevated. I think we had like low 70s. So yeah, that's that's killing it. Yeah, there's a summer feel to the air. Hey, can't can't say anything bad about that, can you? No. No. Um, so one of the things right now, I mean, it, it's been a dry season so far, but before and maybe coming in, you know, we might get the rains. Um, a very big topic to talk about is reading like water levels for for the crossings of your creek crossings there are not too many in the catskills but there is some that could actually bring some some risk of going down and you know getting taken by the stream and then possibly something bad happens something like you know slide 
uh, mountain has that one little river crossing right 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 in the beginning that comes down for the Willowemic uh, area, and uh, it's just you know it's it's tough to read, but we have a lot of stuff online. We have CGS markers all around the Catskills and the Neversink area and stuff like that uh, to check how the water is flowing and actually shows you the flow of water like when it's normal and then it'll be elevated. Have you ever checked those things out before? No, I haven't. That sounds, it sounds good to know. Sorry, I'm cracking open an awestruck right now, so we'll talk about that. But <laughs> um, So a lot of different places. Uh, if you go into, I believe it's like Balsam Mountain, uh, Ryder Hollow area, you go into the backside of uh, Hunter, they have like little CGS markers and stuff that read the flow of the water so they can mm-hmm. tell the gauges. Because, you know, back in 2011, when we had Hurricane Irene, that really like destructed everything. So they decided that more and more water level locators should be uh, put out there for the public and for the local people, just in case something like bad is about to hit. And they're like, okay, you guys need to evacuate so we don't get any, you know, problems coming in. But you can check that on New York State Department of Environmental Protection online and the New York State DEC. Uh, very cool stuff. So if we get like, you know, three days of rain, you might want to check that for your river crossings because, you know, sometimes those river crossings, crossings can be deadly. And right now, you know, the snow is all melted. All the streams are kind of flowing very, very like nice and slow. But, you know, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, we had rain, we had snow. And those crossings could be a big problem. You know, a lot of people will, will sit there and, and question if they could. They're like, oh, yeah, I see a rock here and there. You slip on that rock, that thing could take you down quickly. Have you ever had any uh, problems like that with your extensive hiking that you've had? Um, no, fortunately, I've been, been playing it safe. So, like, <clears throat> I've been okay. And that's, that's a great thing because that's what I do. I seriously see it raining after, like, two days, and I'm just like, I already know that this might be a problem. So I don't want to even take a risk of crossing a Creek. Um, just seeing stuff, you know, Adirondacks in New Hampshire is insane of when those rivers are, are rushing. Those oh, little yeah, creeks yeah. Are, are going crazy. It's, it's, it's a madhouse. So, I mean, I can't say that like right now, take a, take a look, but after, after rain, uh, definitely take a look at those, those places online to check the, the water flow because sometimes it can get out of control and you have no way of crossing and you shouldn't summit like who cares <laughs> your life is more important for sure so where where um so you've been you've been hiking all over where's your your like you where's your places of hiking like Catskills of course where else um well I've done a lot in the Catskills a lot in the Adirondacks I've also been fortunate over my time to do some great stuff out west um the Sierras, Canyon oh. Country, Utah, Rocky Mountain, you know, Rocky Mountains. So it's been been able to so, go to a lot of places. So you you're you're familiar with this, like being in the Sierras, Nevadas, they have those crazy snowmelt times of of uh like you know, June and, and May. And oh, yeah. you know, I I've read books about those those times where people, you know, the snowmelt's coming down and they try to cross and it'll swift them down like 10 feet and luckily they catch yourself, but I've heard of unfortunate times. Yeah. Now there's times when you're right, you just got to turn around or stay, stay lower. Just what happens out there is in the afternoons, the water, just in one day, the water level can fluctuate 
um, because you know it'll melt and then at night it cools down enough, it slows down that it melts again. And you know in Utah, just even a little bit of rain can cause some flooding that you gotta wait for to go by. So yeah, there's a couple times where you just gotta play it safe. Do, do some other hike on the same side of the river. Yep, exactly. And and like you, you've been in the Adirondacks, those those streams because it's still, you know, down below it might not have any snow, but up top that snow is still melting and making those streams extremely hazardous. Yeah, yeah. There's many times I've come from Long Island thinking it's spring, and it's really still winter or whatever. Yeah, you know, we're always even though I know a lot of experience, you still forget just how different it is when you get up there. Yep. And that's that's the crazy thing. I'm like, is that is that still white on the peaks? Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. That's what it usually. (laughs) That's what it usually is. So, yeah. Recently, what's crazy is uh, this. It's this past day. I got I get DEC reports, so we get a bunch of reports about uh, Rangers weekend reviews and stuff like that. It's pretty pretty cool stuff to know what's been going on. So, I saw this happen on Overlook Mountain. So Ranger Dawson, who I recently talked about, talked to uh, at the UM, the VUM meeting in Hunter, had a hike, injured hiker at Caterskill Falls. So um, he was talking, I was talking about this to him and then I was asking him like, so what happened? He's like, she just rolled her ankle and she needed help up from the platform. I'm like, that, that platform area? That's like, you know, like, you know, maybe like. 50 feet of elevation gain. She's like, yeah, yeah. She was alone and it was getting dark and stuff. And I was like, interesting he's like yeah yeah he's like i basically went up and i saw a person with a wheelchair brought it down to her brought her back up and she went and left home and i was like wow incredible that sounds like fun and then there was an also in hunter so this was looked like it was on plateau mountain uh rangers alwyn and one other ranger ranger rusher something happened on plateau mountains where person 64 years old uh was complaining of nausea lethargy sleepness and cramping it sounds like uh like a dehydration to me yeah we provided the hiker with electrolytes and fluids and after eating and resting the hiker began walking out with the help of rescue crews um this started at 450 and they reached the trailhead by 10 30 so that's that's a good amount of time that's almost six hours they were assisted by a bunch of things you know centerville fire kingston fire lanesville palinville higher fire um, it just looked like a thing of dehydration, and that was on May thirteenth. So, and the picture, like, I wish I wish I could show you this picture. Uh, the person's wrapped. I can't. Can you see the the wrap oh. up there? Yeah, probably yep. the emergency blanket and stuff like that. So they they were definitely concerned about the weather, and it was just uh, crazy. Um, so also uh, on May fourteenth, a group of hikers from Long Island called for help after losing trail on the way up Overlook Mountain. Now, I don't know how you can lose a trail on the way up Overlook Mountain. Uh, you've been up there, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wide. <laughs> yes, it's it's definitely wide. It's basically a 18-wheeler wide. Um, so, yeah, they contacted the ranger at 2.13 p.m. Wow. Reached the subject who ranged from 8.13 to 46 in dense mountain laurel, approximately a quarter mile off the trail. Wow. Great conditions for the for the hikers. They were in good condition, and they helped them back by 3 p.m. I seriously do not know how you can lose the trail. They must have been up in at least the ruins and took a wrong turn. That's what I would think. Yeah, maybe there's some side trail or something they thought was the real trail. It's, it's a tough, 
it's a tough way to lose but <laughs> i mean like yeah. seriously but i mean crazy stuff out there so all right so once again dan shooting the shit uh thank you for doing that with me <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to episode 76 of inside the line the catskill mountains podcast now i have author dan kreisberg here and he is going to talk about the balance between family and catskills and hiking out in the wild um he's got a couple books how many books you got out now um that's two two main books and the one self-published self-published there's i don't know why you say it. like that's that's awesome that's that's fantastic <laughs> I guess, so right. <laughs> um both of those what one of those books is about mud is it the mud season one that you were talking about that well no those are some i've written some articles and essays i've written lots of those and that's one for adirondack magazine for the adk okay um the books are most the the books are for are for teachers or educators or parents to help their children get involved in, in the outdoors and nature and teach about different ecological concepts so um one is called a sense of place teaching children about the environment with picture books and then there's another one called thinking green teaching kids about the environment environmental action with picture books nice yeah that's great stuff dude we gotta we gotta get more kids out into nature and get them off their yeah. their phones and their computers and <laughs> stuff sure, as sure. as we speak over the computer right now <laughs> we're talking <laughs> yeah, about that place. but yeah i i definitely agree and i i agree with this stuff i skimmed over some of your books and uh some of your your essays and stuff like that are really fantastic like oh, thank um, you yeah you are very experienced in in the field of hiking and uh teaching students for teaching people for outdoor activities and you know i i'm excited to have you on here i'm, I'm glad we got together oh, i'm excited to be here yeah so thank you to the monthly supporters darren white vicky ferrer john comiskey jim c michael bongner david mead matt smith and sharon klein thank you guys very much for donating the show also a big thank you to outdoor chronicles photography for being the, another sponsor of the show molly from outdoor chronicles photography specializes in adventure development and adventure couple photography in the catskills adirondack and white mountains also don't forget your pets they're just as important uh she is also an officiant for getting married and a licensed guide so don't hesitate to get in the hold of molly on all platforms my wife and i will be with molly and july i believe we're going up to new hampshire and we're going to do a photo shoot up there um right off of the side of mount washington so that's going to be pretty crazy stuff so also have you ever wanted to learn about hiking uh more about hiking and backpacking or even just brush us upon your old skills in the backcountry um check out trail, trail bomb project uh hiking backpacking school run by joe and scott from the new Jersey search and rescue team they have amazing skills for you to learn about new and old skills that you can learn about biking and backpacking uh check them out on all platforms they got their own website social media they post frequently about the stuff that they do and they are extremely good at what they do i have worked with them several amounts of times and uh we were just talking about bushwhacking through the catskills and joe and scott are looking forward to taking a group of people into some crazy they asked me to take them into the craziest part of the catskills and i gave them the craziest part of the catskills the funny thing is we talk about the mountain laurel i was just like you know i would like you to go here but i don't want people to be hating their life so <laughs> i told them to stay away from certain places and they actually had a, a spot that they wanted to go to and i was just like eh, that might not be good for people they might not like their lives <laughs> but also if you want some new gear in the catskills 
go to Camp Catskill in Tannersville. They have all hiking needs. I was just there last Wednesday. I actually got this beautiful Camp Catskill hat, a couple of shirts, a couple of free dries meal for my my Pemi Loop hike that I'm going to be doing soon. They have spikes, snowshoes, moisture wicking shirts, regular memorabilia t-shirts that I got. I got a beautiful hiking t-shirt that had a fire tower on it in the mountains of the Batskills, uh, the background, and it says Catskill Mountains on it. Beautiful shirt. Um, check them out. They're usually open up Thursday to Sunday. Uh, I can't say anything more that they're just awesome. And I was glad to meet Ryan from Catskills for the first time from Cat's Caps from Camp Catskill in the first time. It was fantastic. Also, if you're ready to hit the trails, make sure you take the scenic route. Scenic route guiding are here to help you with your goals, big or small. Check them out at scenic route guiding and gear rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the code Mountain Lion. So, Dan, I think we talked about this a little earlier. Did you get anything to drink for tonight? No, I'm just, I'm just drinking water tonight, but I figure this is a Catskill Devil's Path IPA in my future. Ooh, excellent. Oh, from like Westkill, I'm guessing, right? From where? Westkill Brewing? Yeah, that, yeah. Well, nice. I think it was a Catskill Brewery, I think, um, at Livingston Manor. Oh, okay. The Catskill. Oh, yes, yes. Devil's Path IPA. Yeah, the Sorry. cool raccoon on the can. Those guys, I I had uh, what's his name on here previously. Uh, oh. He's part ownership of the the Catskill Brewing. He's the Catskill Mountaineer uh, page runner. I'm sorry, I'm just like I'm out of it today. I was just like <laughs> been working my butt off. So, uh, but yeah, I got good old Awestruck from Sydney, New York, uh, a summer sangria. I gotta represent my my local areas, and Awestruck is fantastic. Have you ever had Awestruck? No, no, I like the I like the name. <laughs> yes, it's 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 very delicious. They have great flavors, and I'm very fortunate to live close enough to them to where they come out with their crazy flavors that I get to go taste them once in a great while. <laughs> wow, that's convenient. <laughs> but yeah, it's fantastic. So, Dan, you've been in any, on any previous hikes in the past couple of weeks? Um, yeah, actually, a friend of mine and I just got back from. Well, I called it. I was calling it Campbell Mountain, but I guess it's the Cat Hollow Lean To. And so we had two nights there and it was, it was spectacular. The weather was great. Wildflowers all over the place. And it's amazing. We, I don't, I guess it's not a place a lot of people go. So the trails are just covered with flowers. You, you have to be, you know, they weren't, you know, um, broken down at all. Um, it was, it was great. We went to Camel Mountain Road, one direction and Mary Smith Road, the other direction, just kind of going along the ridges. Oh, nice. Nice. Now is that where is that located again? It's a Western Catskills. Um, oh yeah, yeah, like just north of you know you get off at Roscoe up, and then go up two oh six. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh cool, I see it now. Yeah, that's the west, definitely Western Catskills. That's yeah, middle of nowhere, great. dirt roads everywhere, beautiful stuff. Yeah, we 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 had to go up some pretty high roads to to um, meet up with the trails. Yeah. Love that. Awesome. And you did a uh, overnight two nights? Two nights, yeah. Nice, nice. And the same lean to, or did you go like point to point and stuff? No, same lean to. Was, cool. And we just did use the cars to kind of do some day hikes from there. Nice. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Get over to the Western Catskills. Definitely, if you want seclusion uh, or if you want secluded, then you definitely got to go over there. Yeah, definitely. It, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely some good hikes over in the Beaver Kill Range and stuff like uh, that, the Willow Weemek area. 
I just, I love going out there just because it is secluded as heck. And sometimes you get those, like you said, the trails that are, I wouldn't say overgrown, but they're, they're not as maintained as everything else. And it definitely feels more of like a hiking trail than, you know, some of the places you go out like on devil's path and stuff like that. Right. Right. You're definitely located more into nature and less out in the public. Yeah, recently. So I last week I went hiking local. I did a local uh, around here called Mud Lake. Good, awesome, like five mile hike and with a decent amount of gain. I like like twelve hundred feet of gain. So that's very unusual around here. Very unusual. So uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, I want to keep myself in shape for a hike that I have coming up. I'm I'm taking on the Pemi Loop in like two weeks. So do you familiar with the Pemi Loop? Um. I th- no, I'm not. Tell- yeah, let me. Up in uh, New Hampshire, they have the Pemi Gossett Loop. It's 30 miles with 30,000 feet. Or, or wait, 30 miles, 10,000 feet of elevation gain. Sorry, sorry. I, I went over my head there. <laughs> <laughs> but I have that coming up with a bunch of friends of mine, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So I have to keep myself in shape. And today, I went on a hike with my friend Alex, who was previously on the show. And we were attempting to do Black Dome, but we didn't we didn't summit. We went to uh, Lockwood Gap and we turned around and came back. He wasn't feeling okay. So I, I told him that we shouldn't definitely go to, to the summit. I mean, we got pretty high up there, so we were very close. But a uh, beautiful day, like you said, wildflowers everywhere. So the trilliums, purple trilliums, painted trilliums. Leaves were growing till about like, you know, like maybe... I think it was like 34, 3,300 feet. The leaves are growing and it became open and I probably got some pretty good sunburn, but that happens all the time in the spring. I seem to be always be like, Oh, got to put on the suntan lotion. Got to put on the suntan lotion. Never do. Yeah. Well, it's easy to forget because it's shady at the bottom and then you get up higher. It's yep. out in the sun. Always. But it was a beautiful day. Nice wind. Black flies were at bay. Did you have a problem with black flies when you were out there? Yeah, they were the ones that swarm but don't bite. So it was just more kind of annoying. But, you okay. know, then it got cool enough, and then they, they go away. Good, good. Yeah, it's, a lot of people are saying they're not as bad, crazy as they are, uh, have been in the previous years. Uh, wind is at, at, at keeping them at bay, so that's really, really good. But yeah, definitely great. Tra- I got a great day to go out there, so I'm very fortunate to get out there and get some more cats i want to like i said i want to keep my blood flowing for this this hike that i'm coming i got coming up so yeah training is (laughs) important yeah definitely definitely so excellent out west uh in the catskills western catskills go check a look out there you know always don't need to hike on the 3500 peaks there's definitely many more trails the uh, catskill all trails challenge that's really cool that's that's fun to check out because there's definitely 372 miles of trails in the catskills so check it out yeah the guy was the guy was hiking with he's trying to redline everything so we're doing little bits and pieces anywhere we go (laughs) you gonna you gonna redline oh i don't think i am my friend john is working on it (laughs) nice how how much do you think he's in he's gonna be mad that i don't remember he's got (laughs) a lot he's got a lot (laughs) awesome well he's over in the western part so he's taking care of the uh like I said, the secluded ones and the the out of way ones. I mean, is that is that a longer drive for you guys, or is that like a similar time? It's kind of for me. He's coming from Albany area. I'm coming from Long Island, so it's pretty much the same for me anywhere. El Catskills are all about three and a half hours to you know, depending on traffic. Wow, 
that's you know i've you know I've, i'm hour and a half as it's like two hours as me but my god that's that's tough man do you <laughs> well, do you like do you do it like in the like wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and get up there or something or no nah, you know on saturday if you get up you know i usually probably get on the road around six or seven and it's not too but getting there's in the morning is okay it's coming home can be <laughs> can be a, a struggle sometimes yeah that's crazy but it's part of what it you know part of what it is excellent nice yeah i agree i agree definitely it's uh gotta do what you gotta do to get out there in nature man it's it it no if and or buts all right so also volunteer uh 3500 club has put up their website well on their website they have uh, where you can sign up for the trailhead stewards definitely a cool thing they're doing woodland valley this year and slide mountain so check them out they definitely need volunteers and uh, we need help of educating people when they get on the mountains also check out the catskill trail crew those guys are really ripping it up i actually have matt and charlie on here on the schedule for in like a week or two for them to come on and we're going to talk about the catskill trail crew and a bunch of other stuff that they they've done around the catskills uh check out the catskill mountain club check them out uh catskill mountain keeper catskills visitor center they all have volunteering opportunities and i encourage it strongly you know you're helping out for six hours one year could change a lot of things and the catskills can change a lot of things anywhere so don't volunteer just here volunteer anywhere also picamos blue hole, blue hole permits are starting to come out that's uh gonna be a crazy thing instead of 40 i heard they're doing 70 this year so that's uh interesting because we both know dan that parking area is very small so it's going to be interesting for 70 permits to go out uh during the day so have you when when did you when did you finish your 3500 last spring i guess technically i'm not an official 3500 even though i've done i don't know probably all of them more than once but i haven't done some of them in the winter oh that's okay so um yeah it's hard to know over time i've done them all just not exactly i guess according to the official rules okay so you're familiar with that that peak and moose area how yeah like yeah did you have bit, to yeah. did you have to get a permit uh to go there or no well no but i haven't been there in a while so no i don't okay so yeah so i one once again i was there a while back before the permits ever took place and uh even going on a tuesday <laughs> you know it was pretty full and this was during the summer it was like beginning of summer and you know i i understand why they're doing that a lot of people are you know objected of getting that but if if they've ever been there during these high times and seen how crazy it was i i definitely understand and you know this is i can't say this is what we got to do a lot of people don't understand that that the whole world in the united states are dealing with this at a lot of bunch of places i mean you've been out west you've probably seen the max flow of people i mean i went out to utah last april and this was april you know nobody was there but going to the buckskin gulch the 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 valley or the fire wave area was insane and i mean where did where did you go out in utah um well i've done a lot in that area too in the moab area canyonlands you know down grand gulch over the course of time and we were we were just there this spring um visiting my son who's in salt lake and right they had the permits the time you had to get a ticket to go into arches so there's 
I mean, I think it's a good thing that more and more people want to be outdoors, but it does mean, you know, we have to keep that in mind how we're going to regulate that. But overall, it's a good thing. The more people get out there, the more land will get preserved and the more will people build support for that. Exactly. Exactly. Great way to put it because that's, that's the way I see it too. You know, at first, when I first started hiking, I, I was like one of those guys. It's like, you know, stay away, stay away. I want to. Me too. I right, right. So at least you don't see. And then I'm just like, holy crap, man, this is incredible. And I'm like, hey, you guys should go to the Catskills. Hey, you guys should go to the Catskills. And then I'm realizing I'm just like, wow, everybody should, you know, go to the Catskills. It's it's close to you. It's fantastic. It's it's nothing like where you are right now. Check it out. So. Of course, you know, with, with social media and stuff like that going crazy, it it, it kind of has to happen. And being like you said, the Utah, the permits and arches and you know, canyon lands and stuff like that, you know, going going to the wave of fire, I saw how big that parking lot is. Holy crap, they could fit like two hundred cars there. And I understand why, because it is a I can't say a national land. It's a globally global area that has just exploded. And I understand, you know, going to visit in Utah, definitely understand because that is a whole nother world. Uh, I'm not just saying compared to the Catskills, compared to any place in the world, Utah is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. And I, I haven't even been to, like you said, Canyonlands and Bryce or, or Arches. I've only been to Zion and the Grand Staircase Escalante. So, yeah, hoping to get out there more, more often. Right? I tell them, I tell my wife, I'm just like, we're going back. And she's like, we've already been there. I'm like, you've been to a portion of it. I'm like, there's so much more. But once again, blue hole permits are going up. So check them out. Uh, get your permit or hike. To, like, you'll still have to get a, a permit during the week. So just, it's it's easy to get. You can go online and get it. So check it out. All right. So I was going to go into his, some history. But I'm just going to do a tiny little thought. I've been reading a book called The Catskill Mountain House by Ronald Van Zett. Very cool thing about the old Catskill Mountain House. Dan, have you been ever near the, the North-South Lake region? Yeah, yeah. We went to that campground a lot when the kids were little. Yeah, so you know about the, the, the old Catskill Mountain House that used to be there. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So this book has anything and everything about it. It's fantastic. And I've been reading about a lot about it lately. So there we're talking about when the Catskill Mountain House was built. And then all of a sudden the Laurel House came in. Now, are you familiar where that was? No. So right above Catterskill Falls, kind of where the platform was, uh, a little bit further back was the Laurel House. Now that was also a, a place that you could stay at and stuff like that. There was only 70 to 100 people that could stay there per day where the Catskill Mountain House had like over three to 500. So, and it was also cheaper to stay there, but you were like 30, 40 feet away from the falls, which was absolutely crazy that you could stay at the mountain house. Uh, I forgot what it like. I forgot what it, the difference was, but it's an insane amount of difference. And the Laurel house was right there. And at the time with Catterskill Falls, they all their accessibility was through ladders. So I don't know if you've ever seen like pictures of all the, the people coming down in their dresses and their beautiful clothes and stuff like that on ladders from oh, the no. side of like where the, yeah, right. Where the platform was, they had ladders coming down that area. 
So I was, when I was looking at pictures and I was reading, I was flabbergasted. I'm just like, people say it's, it's dangerous now. Just imagine <laughs> what it was like, you know, 110 years ago when it was just flat out ladders, slippery stuff. People were just doing whatever they want. I'm, I'm pretty sure like someone died on there. They were just like, yeah, we got to leave the body. <laughs> like we can't yeah. carry that back up the ladder. So um, the one funny thing that I read during the summer of 1882, for instance, an average number of visitors to the falls was 75 to 100 per day, 75 to 100 per day. That's basically what they see at nighttime now. <laughs> now, during the day, it's probably around the one to 2000, maybe 3000 per day. Mm. Many visitors, of course, were paying guests to the Laurel House but many were also paying guests to the mountain house or sightseers from other parts expanding to the Catskill area. Also, this was funny. A refreshment stand existed at the halls from the time of the mountain house first began to attract considerable number of visitors to the area. So they had a, a refreshment stand. So um, I also heard that on the second tier of the falls, they had another refreshment stand, but this was alcohol. Wow. I was good to mix with those trails. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm just like, all right. So now we're getting into the second basin and we're having alcohol. <laughs> so you get a lemonade up top and then you get a spiked lemonade on the on the falls. <laughs> so that's really cool. And they also right here, they said he so Peter Shutt, who will be looking over the pizza of his cafe above. And you have a duty, uh, a duty settled between you and the telegraphic alphabet in such a case made and provided he will attach a basket to the projecting pole and incontinently there will descend sundry bottles of the coolest champagne from the vineyards in france so basically when you were in the second tier they would lower pizza and champagne to you nice <laughs> wow uh i thought you know everybody thought it was was weird now because of all the people going like uh like swimming or something they're just being weird playing their stuff but you know you sat down there and they were just like hey let me get that bottle of champagne and they lowered it down to you wow interesting stuff from the good old catskill mountain house book by ronald manzette crazy stuff so all right so let's get on to the guest of the night let's go author dan kreisberg uh dan thank you for joining me on the show well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so Dan's an author of two books and many essays and articles in different magazines. And uh, what else, what else did you publish in? You well, yeah, well, yeah, that, you know, different magazines and journals about essays about my experiences in the outdoors. A lot of environmental education articles about um, lessons people can do with young people, with um, kids and students. Yep, and I'll attach all that stuff to the show notes. So people can check it out. So, um, Dan, why don't you give a, a background about yourself real quickly and get more into the, your books and stuff. All right. Well, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and you know, that's kind of where my outdoor career began. Um, got involved in backpacking and as went to college, you know, graduated, became involved in outdoor education. And that kind of led me to being a school teacher, which led me to Long Island and where I have my wife, Karen, and two, we have two grown children. Well, I guess two grown sons now, not children, two grown sons. And um, that's, that's, that's the story. 
So where was your first places of uh, adventuring to up in Syracuse? I'm guessing the Adirondacks? Well, no, the first trip my friend and I did was on the Finger Lakes Trail just for just for a night. That's where we kind of got the the idea. We wanted to try it out. Um, but then, yeah, the Adirondacks is a big part of my my early backpacking career. Nice. Finger Lakes Trail. That's a, I've been on there. Where'd you go for that? I couldn't even tell you. you. It was a long time ago. Um, somewhere near Kyler, New York. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they have definitely a fantastic trail system going all the way from yeah. Finger Lakes down to the Catskills. I did uh, the high tour management area, which was over near Naples. That's a very fantastic place. I mean, any place in the Finger Lakes is fantastic because of the massive waterfall systems that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So venturing over in the Adirondacks, when uh, when like what year? How old were you when you went over to the Adirondacks? I mean, we st- we started going. You know, probably you know, seventeen, eighteen years old, and then, uh, you know, just sort of felt, you know, fell in love with backpacking. Started going out west whenever I could, different places in the in the Adirondacks. Nice. Yeah. Now, the have you been in Adirondacks recently? When I was there last, last summer, we you know, was there so last was... summer planning planning on a big trip this summer. Nice, nice. What are you planning? I don't know. We've got to start sitting down. I got to start. We've got to start that process, but we got to. A few nights in the and at the end of June. Nice. That'll that sounds fun. So would you say that the the differences between then, like when you started hiking and now is is pretty crazy? Um yeah, I think the the equipment makes a difference. You know, it's yeah. just I remember I all my memories of you know early days just you know being wet, never being dry. And now, you know, the clothing is so much more you're so much better able to just dry off especially in the northeast that's that's important equipment just so much lighter weight you know and i guess the big you know a really big change is just being able to communicate home you know in those days you just went knowing you know really knew you are now you know even early in my marriage that was an issue but now you know we can talk quite you know we can talk once a day usually um there's a way to stay in touch so that's certainly the technology of communication that's been a big change what about like the trails do you think like uh have, have they significantly been like increased i mean of course we know the flow has increased to every place basically in the world but the you know i've heard the trails have taken a huge beating since when when were you hiking in the the adirondacks what years well i mean pretty much since um like you know 1980 you know ni- oh, wow. 1978 till you know till now so that's when they had um, yeah, the... they definitely yeah i mean you know there's a lot more people in the high peaks there's a lot more people who are day hiking to hike all the high peaks you know it used to be you would just see some people out backpacking and you know, there wasn't that there wasn't that same sort of athletic group of people trying to climb every mountain um which is you know which is fine but yeah definitely more crowded wow yeah i've always i've always wondered the the differences between then and now because you know it's just changed dramatically and like once you know war herd paths up in the adirondacks are nowhere near existing uh there was no herd paths right going up certain certain mountains right, right. yeah so you had to do full-on bushwhacking crazy so what yeah. drew you towards the catskills well when i moved, moved to long island i you know, still want to keep keep backpacking and i Realize, you know, going to the Adirondacks, it's a six hour drive, probably not going to do that on a weekend, can't, you know, can't go out west all the time and sort of, you know, discovered the Catskills and really just, you know, really fell in love. You know, I started to realize that it 
you know, in the beginning it was like, oh, you got to go out west, you got to go out west, you know, big real, you know, big mountains, the Adirondacks. And those are those are places that are incredible. And I always want to go there, but and realizing the Catskills have their own um, gifts to offer. You know, I really liked how the Catskills, because of their history, like we were just talking about, that people have been going to the Catskills. It's a it's a hopeful place because it's like the forest has come back, and you realize that people have been intertwined. You see evidence of of people, whether it's in the views or those stone walls. You realize, you know, people have been here. I belong here. It's I just find that comforting and good to know that humans do belong. I had this sort of very you know, old-fashioned idea of there was wilderness and then there was everything else. But now realizing that, you know, wilderness is everywhere. People are part of the wilderness. We belong. It's just how we act there and how we treat where we are. Yeah, definitely. That's another reason why I love the Catskills, too, because you could be off hiking and be like oh is that a stone wall over there and then you're like you know up a certain amount of feet and you're like wow they had you know not to say civilization but they stone wall means property bounding so that means somebody's property came up this high on the mountain stuff like like that different you know artifacts of human civilization there and especially out west when you go out to the western catskills you'll be seeing that all over the place yeah and i love the catskills you have the mountains and I love the ponds, you know, long pond, trout pond, frick pond. You know, those are great places when my kids were little to go camp for a couple nights. Lots of places to catch frogs and newts. And so that you have these, you know, such a varied kind of places to, to go in, in, in one, you know, relative, you know, one, one area. Yeah, correct. Instead of, you know, like going just straight up to the high peaks and going into complete crazy disastrous weather, the Catskills offer the west western side which is nice and easy gradual areas like you said trout pond and brook pond and stuff like that and then you can actually venture into hunter and uh you know windham and stuff like that who could actually get some crazy weather but also be very very peaceful and stuff so you're right got all yeah. different varieties everywhere right just the you know the, the the cliff bands the lean-tos the balsam forest you know there's just a, there's so much beautiful in catskills Correct. I agree with you 100%. Um, so what got you into being an author? Um, well, I, I guess in the start, I was just trying to be able to explain to other people how important it was to be outdoors and I was trying to figure out how to put that into words that, you know, started keeping a journal, started trying to, you know, write about that and realizing not only was that being helpful for me as I was trying to figure out my role, my place was made me more attentive to what's around me you start paying you know better attention you try to figure out how, how do i describe this emotion or how to describe this view or this flower and all that really helped me pay better better attention to what was going on sort of just help you celebrate it like like wow look at that 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 little stream or that frost on the on the leaf you know is, is incredible yeah um, and it was just you know that it became you know as i realized oh people might be a little interested in what i'm writing that was really exciting to be able to share yeah, definitely. And you've self-published uh, one book. Uh, let's go over those those that one book and then the other book that you published too. Um, well, the, it's called The Wild Moose Chase because I really, really love moose. And nice. uh, one of my goals was to see you know see a moose in the Adirondacks. And, and, that, and that's been a kind of cool thing that like they were talking about is like, sort of nature coming back. You know, you think, oh, I got to go out west to see a moose, Vermont. But now look, the moose are coming here. So really want to see a moose. 
And so it's a story about, um, you know, two boys that are trying to find a moose and the idea is they're, they want to find one by just sort of stomping around and, and moving and checking on all these places. And then they realize that it's better just sit still and be patient. And that's when the moose moose comes by. So it's called the nice. wild moose chase. Nice. I, I have that down. Definitely. You know, that is a big goal of mine as well as to spot a moose. I haven't, we i haven't been able to see one i've i've been, been able to see one and we saw a dead one out in the grand canyon so that was a little oh, freaky um <laughs> yeah so long story short we're sitting there in a line of traffic and we're wondering what the hell is going on and all of a sudden like the windows are open and we start dry heaving and we can smell this dead moose and off to the left is a massive moose riding away and everybody was slowing down to, and this was back 2007 so nobody had cell phones um if we did we were flip phones so um that's the only moose i've spotted so i've i mean been up to vermont new hampshire we hope to spot one but not yet have you spotted any moose i'm guessing not in the not in the adirondacks i've seen moose tracks moose droppings but no, no moose yet so keep mm-hmm. keep keep looking keep looking you haven't spotted any out west yet oh no i've seen them out west and in vermont um oh nice not not well, i haven't seen a new york moose yet did you happen to catch those like uh spot them on the trail or were you like well sometimes it's been because i kind of learned from the experience that sitting and just sitting by a pond and trying to be still um i've seen them that way many times and also sometimes just hike you know hiking along you sort of you know hear some big noise in the in the back and on the side and realize oh look that's a moose wow is it is it breathtaking like everybody says yeah and what's amazing you know one, one experience that really keep in mind is, is my my old we were this was in utah my younger son my older son and i were kind of walking along he was like you know two or three years old we're kind of walking along and these this moose and a calf come out of the woods and we sort of every everyone's sort of staring at each other and then the moose just continued with the calf crossed the road into the woods and made no noise like you would just think this giant and just great you know they have this grace about them this awkward grace that it's hard to explain and they just kind of walks off into the woods. Wow. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm severely jealous because that's like one of my, my bucket list items. It's just to see a moose walking by in, in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. So now I'm going to go find a pond in in the middle of Adirondacks or New Hampshire and Vermont and just sit there for days until I spot one. <laughs> That's a good plan. If you don't <laughs> see the moose, you'll see a lot of other cool stuff. Yeah, I, I could imagine. Definitely wildlife. Uh, what about the other book? Well, the other book is say it's <clears throat> called A Sense of Place. Well, the two books are kind of based on the idea of that we can't all, all of us are not great storytellers, but we have there's amazing picture books about nature and we can use those picture books to introduce a lesson, you know, then teach young people about food chains or symbiosis or whatever ecological concept. And also just teach them to love where they live. Uh, I think it's really important that all of us, every, every age, know who we live, who we share our neighborhood with, whether it's the plant life, the animal life, the local history. So these picture books are ways to encourage children and everyone to pay attention to where they live and gain a sense of place definitely and that's very very important like like i said um or like you said 
I once lived up here and I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to, I'm sick and tired of New York state. And then once I realized what New York state has to offer, holy crap, was that uh, a mistake that I made in my life? And I, I, I'm very, very sad that I didn't take advantage of that when I was younger. Because now I'm older and my knees are starting to hurt. My back's starting to hurt. And <laughs> I'm just like, man, I should have taken advantage of this when I'm young. But yes, definitely love where you live because we live in a fantastic place. New York state might be weird at times, but the Northeast offers so much. And I can't agree with you more on that one, Dan. So, um, so when did you realize that you were spending more time in nature than your real life? Like that's, that's a, that's a big question. Cause I think we all think that sometimes. Well, I guess what I would be, I can't answer that question. I have to phrase it as nature is my real life. Um, Ooh, there you go. I, I can't remember a time when being outdoors was not central to who I am and what I want to do. And so, you know, even as a young child, I was fortunate to, you know, grow up in, you know, Syracuse, New York, where I lived near this old forest that had used to have been a garbage dump and had regrown in a park. And, you know, in those days, we had a lot more freedom. So I would go explore, walk around. My parents, you know, gave me that that freedom and also that support to take me hiking in places or bring me to zoos and just really encourage my connection to the outdoors and just, you know, one thing led to another. So I think, you know, as an adult, I realized that I really wanted to, you know, base my career in the outdoors in at least some manner and to spend as much time as I could hiking and being outside and hope and, and be that part of my family, my family's life as well. So yeah, I don't think there's any, you know, there's no distinction between my real life and my outdoor life. <laughs> okay. So did you find a balance between your normal life and your outdoor life? That's, that's tough to find, right? Yeah. I mean, I've learned, I've learned a lot. There's been different points in my life where it's been harder, but I, I think that's one thing I've, I've learned through the writing, through spending time, through realizing that are that you can love more than one place. I think that's part of what, gave me that imbalance is thinking well you know wild nature is only out west or only in canada and realizing that was i when i moved to long island that was a little bit of a struggle to figure out i didn't expect i mean i didn't expect to live on long island i expected to live here for a couple of years get, you know get some experience go live in oneana or somewhere in the catskills that was part of the plan but you know met my wife fell in love bought a house had great kids life is great but it really had it was a process to learn that I can love more than one place. And then as I learn more about where I live and incredible history, the animal life, the plant life, being able to pay attention in a different way it helps, you know, help really help my fi find that. I'm sorry, find find that balance. Um, and and even so much that you go in, even though I go to the same places every, you know, so often when you see something new you really realize how new that is or you just see subtle changes over time and that's really exciting way to be part of the outdoors even when you're not on top of a mountain or deep in a canyon correct correct now going out west and and, and going up north and stuff like that and all over were you taking your family with you at the time or was this just you and uh maybe a couple friends well it sort of depended on it part of my life in the beginning it was just, you know, me and my friends, as soon as my 
and then when my children were really young, we did car camping. And then when they were a little bit older and they could go backpacking, you know, we would, we would go backpacking. And, you know, then now it's always trying to find the balance of time backpacking with them. Usually, you know, I take a trip on my own or with some buddies to, you know, out west or the Adirondacks. Um, but yeah, that's part of finding that balance is when you can do what you love with your family. That's really cool. But it's also sometimes good, you know, to be able to do not. I guess one thing my wife and I learned early on is that sometimes compromise compromise doesn't make anybody happy and that there are times where all right dan you're going to go out to to arizona or utah or these areas you have your intense incredible trip and then you know come back here we'll do something you know on a, on a more local level and not try to just find what's in the middle um so my you know my wife has been incredible about just helping me find that balance and find that and that support and so it's the big ways of it. It's also in, in little ways that you can find find your place. Even and one, I remember one trip in Arizona, we went to Canyon de Chelly, and that's part in the Four Corners area, is part of the Navajo Reservation. And we had this this guy who was talking about kind of teasing all of us, you know, tourists that were coming here to learn about the you know their the Navajo religion. And it got me thinking, well, what about, you know, my ancestors? You know, I'm Jewish. And so, you know, I started learning more about Judaism in the environment and nature and realizing, OK, I have connections that direction. It is once you start exploring all the connections, you really find out that no matter where you are, you belong in nature. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I kind of have the same situation as you because, you know, I want to explore all over the place. You know, I'm just like, ooh, like one of our next trips might be up to Olympic national park and then go over to Northern Cascades and then down or near. So, uh, you know, like, like you, me and you are very alike being very, very skilled in nature and, you know, being able to take on those crazy challenges when our family members might not be like that. And, you know, you, I've, you've been out to Sierra Nevada, so you have battles and probably some crazy, crazy stuff, uh, Utah, crazy stuff. Um, but, some of our you know family members can't handle that like my wife i don't think she can tackle mount whitney or you know mount olympus or something around that thing so i got to plan those those nice little hikes uh with her instead of going crazy and then maybe one day i'll go crazy but um is that kind of how you found the balance between you know normal life and outdoor life and family life as well well you know that's one of, one of the ways i mean I think something I learned along along the way is that there's no there's no one way to hike, there's no one way to be outdoors, and so when that kind of opens up op- opens up a lot of doors because you're not thinking like oh this doesn't really count or this place isn't that even whether it's going a mile or two miles or three miles, and when I when that kind of that realization came along, I realized whether I'm doing outside for half an hour, doing a little you know nature walk on a little trail or I'm doing something intense out in the Sierras, like you know, Mount Whitney. It's all it's all good. I don't have to compare all the time. I think I was in that part of where the imbalance came from, just always comparing and realizing it's well, this realizing it's all good, right? But you want you know, I want to go all these places, and you know, as, as you try to figure out, be creative with time so that you get to do we get to do more. Correct. Nice. Yes, I agree. Um, so, like. 
with your your balance in in nature and your family and stuff like that do your family like taking out in nature like like you do do they they take that on that kind of omniance that that you and i both are just like wow look at that glacial erratic over there look at that <laughs> ledge band do, are, do they find the craziness like we do um yeah when the, when the kids are younger they went on a lot of trips and they 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 told they told me i recently asked them as adults like so did you was i just dragging you along or did you really <laughs> enjoy that and um no no we they, they you know they liked it they had fun they had good good memories you know they haven't gone you know now they're kind of on their own they haven't gone much it's been a few years um and my wife is you know she, she enjoys she's you know what one thing we joke about is you know she's we brought together the beach and the mountain she's a real beach person i'm a real mountain person and so as a team it's a it's a really good combination we live really close to the beach so we get to spend a lot of time on the beach and you know she'll definitely join me on day hikes not you know not quite ready to start backpacking but um you know we, we get we do because of the beach and the mountain combination we get to spend a lot of time out together outdoors and that's nice. been a new thing for me too like really appreciating what's going on under the water you know with all the that that whole that whole kind of wilderness Dan, I think we are very, very, very similar in our whole life. So my wife loved the beach, number one, and she will like to hike with me on day hikes. Uh, for instance, next week, we are going down to South Carolina to go on the beach. And it's not Myrtle Beach. We're going to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And like like I said, we're planning on in September going up to like Mount, like uh, our Olympic National Park, Northern Cascades. There's that balance that you're talking about, yeah. like you. <laughs> like. <laughs> There's definitely like a balance you've got to find uh, between you and your family, uh, family members, friends, stuff like that. So you can keep your time in nature like you want to, but also have some more time in nature. The beaches is, is just as beautiful as the mountains. I mean, there's a sense of relaxation at the beach. That's that's why we're going, because we need to relax and yeah. lay low. Yeah. I mean, I don't. is that the same for you? Well, right. It's a, it's a different, you know, going to the beach is a different experience than going to the mountain and both are great. You know, you don't have to, I, I, I kind of keep coming back to that because I sometimes have to remind myself of that. And you can, you know, also in a local area, I think, create your own challenges. I got, I got this start of, um, well, I guess the, in COVID year, I decided, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hike the Appalachian Trail. It'd be kind of cool to walk the equivalent of the Appalachian Trail in all the little nature preserves around my house. So, you know, I would walk whatever mileage it was. I kind of would look at a AT map and say, "Oh, look, I, this is where I would have been at this point. This is where I would have been." And, nice. You know, I think wherever we live, you know, I'm going to climb the highest two hill, you know, the highest 20 hills in my county, or you, know, you can just kind of come up with little challenges that, you know, how many birds can I see, or whatever it might be to get you, you know, going out there. That is fantastic. I, yeah, it's, I it was, it's kind of fun. And I then I said, Oh, look, next year I'll do the Pacific Crest Trail. And <laughs> wow, that is fantastic, dude. Uh, you need to copyright that number one, <laughs> and then that's another book you need to write is like you know, maybe equivalent of Appalachia at the AT in your backyard. Yeah, okay, that like something around that locally, like you know doing so many miles like oh in this area i could do maybe 20 miles per day so let me do 20 miles this day and then you know oh we're getting into the higher elevations i can only do 10 miles that's a fantastic oh, idea. That'd be, yeah that'd be a cool way to do it too 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. Where, yeah. where were you doing during COVID came out? You should have like put that out during on, well, on I, I social have, media. Yeah. Well, right. I got an really big, I did have this idea and still have the idea of just a book about walking and that would be part of the book, but just how, just, you know, how great walking is. And I won't go into the whole idea, but <laughs> that is not copyright just because I won't yeah. explain it right now. Yeah, I like that. I have to give that some thought. <laughs> do it, do it. Got the wheels um, turning. Good, good. Um, I'm, I'm glad. Um, so being a teacher, uh, these days education is very is very key with nature. Um, the overuse of areas and the misuse of areas, a lot of people don't know uh, about leave no trace uh, and about certain different things, especially the younger generation. Uh, what are your thoughts about like teaching kids and adults uh, about nature and how to preserve it? Well, I think number one, you got to take them out. You got to be outside. You got to go outside. Um, whether, you know, I, I'm a sixth grade science teacher. So as much as possible, you know, I take my students outside. So I think if you're going to learn about trees, you should be out in the trees. If you're going to learn about birds, go see some birds. So whatever that big, that's just a huge part. You know, Kids, adults, we're all spending way too much time indoors. So I think really want to teach people to care and to be good stewards. Just got to spend time outside, you know, coming in contact. You know, I think when, as far as like out on the trails, you know, we do have to have a lot of education, you know, retraining, training. You know, I think a lot of people are new. We want, you know, kind of go back to what we were talking about before, we really want people to to take advantage of these places. I think that's really important that we're inclusive because if people don't feel like they belong in the Catskills, then when some legislation comes up about, you know, we need to spend some money in there, we're like, why should I spend money on the Catskills? I never, I never go there. What do I care? And or whatever the trail system might be, you know, so making people feel like they belong and they have investment in these places, they're going to take better care of it. So I think, it does sort of start with love. Like if you care, if you love a place, you're going to take care of a place and you're going to be interested in what, and asking that question, like, what can I do? But if you have no investment in it, then why, why take care of it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, or whether even that's like, you know, joining organizations, if organizations are inclusive, then they're, got, they're not going to have as many members and then they're not going to be able to do the work that they want to be able to do. So teaching kids and uh, people is is absolutely the top of the the line, basically. Right, and to and I think do that in the outdoors. And you have a very big involvement in that, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, what about your diversity uh, education and nature project? Can we talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, along with my creative partner um, Camille Simone Edwards, she's the diversity, equity, and inclusion director at Friends Academy. That's the school that well, we both teach at. It's an independent Quaker school on Long Island. So we've developed this idea that the Earth can be a role model for teaching about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. That the Earth is teaching is teaches us how important biodiversity is. So when we look at all the different life that's out there that's what makes an ecosystem work and we can learn from that to see how diversity can make our human ecosystems work you know we, can, we look out into nature we see lots of examples where organisms are benefiting each other they're working together 
So we can learn from that about how we can work better together. You know, we see in nature all the interrelationships, how one event or one animal can impact others. So we can turn that to our human ecosystems just to learn from nature. You know, the, the skills that we can learn of being attentive and being creative and asking questions, those are all skills that can help us in our human ecosystem. So it's just a way to, it's a great way by going outside, doing what we have all these outdoor lessons um, to learn about biodiversity, mutualism and relationships. So we start with these outdoor lessons that are very hands-on and active. And then that leads to conversations and discussion that we do, we do this program with students, with adults, um, organizations, and it's been just really exciting to develop how nature can be a teacher for these issues. So with these uh, these education programs that you have, what do you what do you exactly do when you're out in the workshop or seminars? So, for example, um, when we teach about biodiversity, we'll go out. We just did this lesson with our students a couple, last week because we went out with um, butterfly nets and we said, all right. 15 minutes, how many different insects can you catch? And we, you know, catch all, you know, they're running around, catch all these insects, you know, then we look at them and they have all sorts of questions and making observations. And then we talk, you know, so we do all that, talk a bit about how, why biodiversity is so important. But then what really grew out of it is we started talking with them, like, why is it easy or to ask questions about these insects, you know, and, and it can be hard to ask questions about each other. So we wanted, if you, if you want to learn about your friends, you know, sometimes it's hard to ask the questions, but there's still good questions to ask. So it became this whole lesson about how do we ask questions so that we can celebrate the diversity in our friend group. And, you know, today we did a lesson about mutualism. So we went, you know, took a little walk around our school grounds, saw some examples of mutualism. You know, then we have this game that we play that recreates a relationship between two animals. And then we, you know, we went inside and we talked about like, what are some relationships with your friends? Like where you're working together, what gifts do you give them? What gifts do they give you? And, you know, that leads us, you know, beautiful conversation about what, um, how they, how friendships, you know, help each other out. And, you know, so we have a sort of series of activities like that, that we've done with young people and with adults. Nice. Now, the, once again, that's uh, the friendships and stuff like that. And the questionings leads to balance. Like you could be with your friends and family uh, out in nature once again, and then that will lead to the balance of nature and uh, your family life. So uh, it's all like a big circle. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things that we try to get across with the diversity education in nature program is that we belong. I know I kind of use that word a lot is that you know, when we're, you know, because we belong, we can't not belong. We just don't always realize we belong and that learning from nature can help us re make that reconnection and find, have our sense of belonging grow no matter where we are, not just in a place that's got a lot, a lot of wild nature, could be in the middle of New York City. You know, we, we can work on that sense of belonging. If we feel like we belong in, the, in nature, we're going to increase our sense of belonging in our own human community. And I love the the questioning. I love people asking more questions because that means it leads to more education. It leads to more information. It leads to more questions and then more information. It's just it keeps it's like like a like a like a glacier. It just keeps toppling over itself. It's it's fantastic. So I'm yeah, glad how can that we learn 
how can we learn about each other if we don't ask questions? And to understand that, you know, if you ask a question and your intent was one, but it had the impact was another, you have to, you know, handle that and take responsibility for that and learn from that. But right, we're not going to learn about each other if we don't ask questions. Exactly. And we're not going to learn about Earth, Mother Earth, if we don't have questions. Exactly. And kids have many questions and it's great to answer those questions and see those smiles or those thoughts on their faces about stuff like you said with collecting insects and stuff like Ooh, what oh, is this yeah, yeah i could only imagine you know i don't i don't work with kids like you do but i can only imagine the the excitement they get out of doing the stuff that you guys do is there yeah. what else do you guys do do you guys go out and check out plants and stuff like that um yeah i mean i do less not so much well sometimes that's what's great about the diversity education angel program is, you know, you might not be in a place where there's lots of insects. You might be doing, we might be doing these lessons in a city park and maybe then we're focusing on look at all the different kinds of plants. You don't realize once you, once you start looking at a lawn, it's not just grass, there's all sorts of different diversity of plants right here. So, you know, we do do, yeah, sorry. We do use plants in that part of the lesson, but just going out and other outdoor education that I do with the students will learn about the trees in the area and the story, you know, some of the history of the trees. So it's, it's all, all of it has an opportunity for learning. Yes. And I agree. And education is key nowadays, uh, whether it doesn't matter in the, on the internet or mostly hands-on is the best because once you get hands-on activity, then you'll get them interested and then it will be going deeper, take a deep dive, you know, like, like no other and i want to like 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 you said you want to get kids out there in nature you want to get everybody out there in nature but you know it it starts with the kids and the education because if they ask questions then you'll want to find out more and then maybe that'll get you hooked onto something bigger in nature oh yeah i would say again just thought of this getting back to the whole balancing you know take whether it's your own children or a friend's child or if you, when you take kids outside outdoors and take a walk you're going to see things that you haven't seen in a while because they're finding they're finding stuff they're yeah. the one you're, you're going to regain a lot of sense of wonder so yeah i think if you're looking to find a balance bring a kid just take a kid for a walk yeah you'll you'll if that's a very that's going to be a very mutualistic relationship because you're benefiting them by getting them outdoors and they're going to benefit you you by rekindling your sense of wonder with that's, a stick or a leaf that's floating down the stream or the simplest thing and you're like wow i forget so cool i forgot about that when i was you know yeah eight, and 10 years old one thing i do see with uh kids and nature is the differences in trees they're just like wait a minute that's that's white but that has like a tree like like old people skin or something like that that's, <laughs> i've heard that before and i'm just like Thanks. Thanks a lot. That that hurts my feelings, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. That's a white birch and that's a maple. <laughs> like it's really cool to get kids out in nature to make them explore more. And then uh, hopefully that'll catapult them into yeah. the, the nature yeah. area. So what about your kids in nature organization? Can we talk about that? Sure. Well, kids in nature is a couple of friends of mine here in Bayville. We were looking for ways to, you know, to help out. And one of those is to sort of take what we love. So we love going on walks and getting people outdoors. And let's figure out because a lot of kids don't have the same opportunities as others, and they don't have the same access to wild areas. And here on Long Island on the North Shore, where I am, there's lots of preserves and there's lots of places to take walks, but on the South Shore of Long Island, not so much. 
So we wanted to create opportunities for young people who lived in nature deprived areas to have opportunities to go out into into the into wild places. So we've been trying to work with some boys and girls clubs to take um, kids on walks. And you know, it's you know, it's hard to find the time. We want to do we have all these amazing ideas, but work you know slowly it's slowly growing and we we realize that we need to include a more diverse um, group of adults to in order to work with the communities that we want to work with. But it's been a really fun and exciting experience. We just took some kids to Long Island Sound last Friday, and it's it's just great to see them explore. And the one one two kids found a dead eel, and they were like holding up this dead <laughs> eel, and like the guts were hanging out. And they were just they thought it was the greatest thing ever. And so um, you know, it's it's we're in the early stages of this organization, but we're excited about what it can be. That's fantastic. I love hearing kids like not just be like ew and they go up and like look at this you know i have a friend that that loves uh his kids love snakes and they'll uh, just grab a snake and be like daddy look what i got and he's just like oh jesus that's a milk snake you know nothing nothing hard like that'll be harmful but they'll just they're fearless and it's good to have those kids that are fearless somewhat because it'll teach the other kids that you know like not everything is harmful Right. Well, yeah. that's what's great when you take a group of kids out. Sometimes it's the kid who in the classroom is super quiet, doesn't say anything, you know, and they're suddenly like they become the leader. They're the one that's finding everything or nice. you know, the kid who can't sit still at all inside. You go outside. It's like, all right, everyone, we're going to play a stalking game or we're going to sit and listen and they can focus. So it brings out different um, aspects of people's personalities. Nice. And like I said, bringing anything they bring kids out into nature to have them connect is, is fantastic because we need that education for them to know why we're doing all these certain programs or these certain laws to keep nature out here instead of, you know, just keep making these cities huger and bigger and stuff like that. Um, especially with you on long Island, there's, like you said, going over towards, certain places there's not much preserves and there and if and if so they're very small but they're also fantastic my my friend who lived near north babylon in her right backyard had had a little tiny preserve and she's like i could walk in there all the time and i will sit in there for at least an hour or two just to not hear anything to just listen yeah and and it's it's great to to hear that because you know like you said takes three and a half hours to get up here to the Catskills to get out into some place that'll bring you very secluded places. But you have those places right out on the island. You have those places in New Jersey. You have those places in up like middle state New York and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's, it's out there. You just got to find it, enjoy it and pay attention to it. So how much joy have you found out in connecting with these kids with nature? I don't know how to try to answer that because it's it's a lot. You know, it's hard it's hard to explain. I mean, it's so um so you know, reassuring, so soul satisfying when you just see a child fall in love with the outdoors or just do something they've never done before, or you know, connect a thought that they 
to one thing or another, or even, you know, it's always every, you know, every once in a while, you'll hear from a former student and they'll have this memory of something that, that you've done, that they've done. And, you know, even, you know, what I used to, I used to take a lot of kids on outdoor education trips, you know, from schools and just, you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll run into one of them, you know, 30, 20 years later, like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great feeling. Nice. Wow. So once again, I will be linking everything you have into my show notes and stuff, and I will definitely talk about you throughout the week. Um, with you having your experience in hiking all over the place, have you ever had a crazy time in the mountains? Like a time where you were just like, crap, uh, this might need for a rescue, or I might have myself in a situation where I will not be able to survive. I ask this to everybody. Sorry. Okay. No. Um, well, fortunately I've, you know, been, 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 been healthy, been safe. I guess the, the story that leaps to mind is, um, I was in the Sierras and I was on my own, but I kind of started hiking with this other group of people and they wanted to, you know, climb, you know, go with some Ridge. And as we're going along the, I guess the father was starting to really, you know, feel his heart and got was getting a little scary, but he was determined to kind of make this loop. And, you know, he was afraid his wife was going to be worried. And I was like, I don't know. I think you should stop. And but he was he was really determined to do this loop. And I said, look, I'll, I'll run back. I'll tell your wife that you're OK. You're making your way back. But I really think we should turn around. And so I, you know, kind of ran, ran back because he was so deterred, so worried that she would be worried that he was pushing himself. Um, so, you know, he slowly made his way back and it turned out all right. But I did really strike me that his worry of her worry was going to make it a situation a lot, a lot worse. Yeah. And I get, I think that's, you know, now that you've asked that question, I, I'm thinking a couple of times in my own hiking where you're sort of determined to make a loop. And. And making that loop high isn't the best idea. Sometimes it's a lot safer just to turn turn around, no, go back the way you came. Even, you know, um, yeah. I think try sometimes yeah that can get you into trouble. But yeah, fortunately, um, haven't used my first aid kit too much. Oh no, now see, well no, now you got me thinking. Ah, there we go, there we go. <laughs> like yeah, this, this this summer when I went, yeah, visited my son in Salt Lake, and then I went over to the Wind Rivers which is spectacular. And there was this one snow field and I was, you know, you know, like, Oh, I'm just going to slide down it. This will be fun. And was, you know, sliding down it and didn't see this big rock and like, you know, hit the rock and, you know, banged up my shin pretty bad. And at, the, at first it was like, Holy cow, look at all this blood, but you know, it didn't have to be, being that bad, but it did, re, did remind you to, to be, just be careful. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's great. Knock on wood, <laughs> knock on wood that you keep that going because, you know, uh, getting in those sticky situations is, is very, very crazy and very kind of mind blowing that though it could happen to me, but you know, like I said, yeah. knock on wood that you're probably a, a very, very safe hiker, you know, being with you being an author, an educator and stuff like that. You want to keep the education of safety at the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, we have definitely... to adjust. We have to adjust. I, I'm adjusting for my age, so. <laughs> correct, correct. Um, so, like, 
out west where why, why for, i forgot to talk about this earlier we might as well finish it up where have you been out west so you went into utah uh you went what did you do in the sierra nevadas well over, over time you know you know video yosemite king's canyon nice you know mount whitney that that area wow yeah i mean i just you know i guess way back you know fell in love with john Muir. It's like oh, i'm going to sierras and you know that inspired me to go to sierras and then you know, reading Edward Abbey, that inspired me to go to South, you know, South, you know, Canyon areas of Utah. And so I've been there a bunch of times and, you know, in the, in the Rocky Mountains, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, that area, um, there's a, there's a range called the Never Summer Mountains. That's really, that was really cool. Nice. Um, and, but yeah, I want to go to the Cascades. That's next, that's high on my list to go to the Cascades. <laughs> that's, that's, so what my, my plan is, my plan is, uh, I didn't realize how difficult it was, was to fly into Seattle and then go over to Olympic. But then the only way you can really go over to Olympic without taking like a four hour detour is to go by ferry. Oh. So I was just like, okay, so that, that could be cool. But then you got to take a ferry back to go over to the Northern Cascades. So now I got to redo my, my plan of probably going to the, the Cascades, then down to Rainier and then up to the Olympic national park and then over back to Seattle. So I mean, it's it's a, it's a long, it's a lot of driving. I think between all those three, it's like nine, ten hours of driving. But you know, uh, being with day hikes and stuff like that. So, but from what I've seen and what I've wrote down, I wish I could show you. Let me let me give me a real quick sec of the the, the plots I have the 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 areas I have already plotted out. So, oh, that's Rainier. So, if you can see this, all those stars. Oh, okay. Those are possible awesome. hiking destinations. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, crazy. That's, that's, yeah, that's part of the country I've never, I've never been to. So, not this summer. Maybe next summer I'll get to the Cascades. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, so any plans uh, in the future, Dan? You got any future books coming out? Maybe. Um, not the moment. I mean, right now a lot of my writing and working is on the diversity education and nature program. So that's that's taking a lot of my time. Um, my my writing time, so I'm writing I'm writing with that, and this summer go to the Adirondacks, and then when we go visit my son in Salt Lake, I'll take a trip to the Uinta Mountains out nice. there. So I got two good trips coming up. Good, good. Well, I will link everything once again to into here um, for for your stuff, especially that one. I, I remember. Can you quickly talk about your one uh, entry in the canister about Devil Path, right? Well, it was, it's a state, <laughs> it's a, I, I, taking this, the dead song, you know, friend of devil's a friend of mine. It's a, a friend of the mountains is a friend of mine. And it's really just talking about, you know, two hiking buddies, Steve and John, and how the Cascals has been such an important over the past 20 years of our lives, sort of as we've gone through, you know, fatherhood and these trips and marriage and just, you know, these trips that we share and the experiences that we've had. So just kind of about how the mountains are your friend, the friendships you make in the mountains are just so important. And that time, if hopefully I can explain this right, but basically, you know, the time when you're doing something like backpacking for me with other people who love backpacking, even if it's, let's say a total of 20 days, it can feel like 20 years because the experiences are so intense and so wonderful. Yeah. So it's kind of just that sharing of the mountains and 
and friendship. And that's what that essay is about. Excellent. I'll link that in here. Definitely. Thanks. Um, also, so pokes, hike, brews, and bites. When you're out in the Catskills, where do you like to go to have something to eat or drink, actually? <laughs> I have to admit, most of the time, I'm just trying to get – I'm, like, staying in the Catskills as long as I possibly can and then making the drive out. But yep. I, I do – I don't know. It's in Olive um, on Route 28. The I can't remember the name of it, but there's a place there that I often stop at. And in Olive? I do like Stewart's, I have to admit. <laughs> I know, right? I, uh... Getting that that ice cream and those like fast chicken sandwiches are nothing else. Yeah. Like nothing else. But unfortunately, yeah, Bazda had that the honestly country market, but it's right there in Olive if I'm on Route 28. Okay. I'll have to I'll have to definitely check that out and see what, what else what else is in Olive. Is it called like bread alone or something? No. Um no, it's there's a yeah, I have, to, I have to look it up. But yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. yeah. That, I, I do often stop there. Okay, excellent. I will I will list a bunch of places in Olive. Um, so, well, thank you for joining me, Dan. Um, really oh, appreciate it. Fun. Yeah. Um, thank you to the monthly supporters. I really appreciate you guys for helping me out. Uh, thank you to the monthly. Oh my God, Jesus! I gotta see. I gotta write this down. Thank you to the sponsors of the show. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you to everyone who has donated. And once again, thanks to everyone who is listening. Big thanks to Dan for joining me tonight. Appreciate taking your time. And uh, you know what? I'm definitely going to be checking out more of your stuff. Uh, maybe possibly purchasing a book for my uh, nephew that I have over in Massachusetts. So I'll get Sean right. that stuff. Both of them, actually. Sounds good. Excellent. Dan, thank you for joining me tonight. And uh have a great night. Hope to see you in the future. I hope so. All right. Take care. Yep. Bye. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Wicked, 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 wicked.